When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison of boysalive.com. One of our jobs as parents and educators of boys is to help them learn how to deal with tough emotions. One of the toughest emotions is grief. Janet is not with me today. Um, She is actually in Texas with her dad. Her dad is in declining health. And if you follow her on Boys Alive, you've followed their journey a little bit. They recently traveled to England. Um, He had stroke and a heart attack very soon after coming home. And, you know, he's likely in his final hours and Janet is spending her time with him. Uh, But as you also know, if you listen to us, we frequently draw our inspiration for these episodes from what's going on in our life. And so we got to thinking and talking about grief. And I reached out to my friend and colleague, Tom Golden, who is really a pioneer in this area. Tom is an author, a speaker, and a psychotherapist who has been on the the cutting edge of talking about grief and bereavement, and specifically how men and boys grieve for about 30 years now. Isn't that right, Tom? About 30 years, Jenny. You're right. Tell me and our listeners, how you got into this area. Hmm. Well, I got into it when I first started working with a place uh, downtown called the St. Francis Center. And as I started working there, I was just out of grad school. I was all gung-ho. All of a sudden, I get this huge caseload of male clients because it turns out the female therapist there wanted me to work there because they didn't want to work with the men. So I was the only guy, the only male therapist there And they sent all the men to me. They thought, oh, Golden's a man. He knows what to do. He must know men. Yes. And unfortunately, Golden didn't know what to do. Mm. (laughs) I was kind of stuck. You know, I I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. And so I started scrambling and I ran into some things that helped me understand men in a different way. One of which was the cross-cultural research, the anthropological cross-cultural research. And I looked at that stuff and I realized, oh my gosh, you know, these tribal indigenous people almost always will give men a task after a death, but they'll give the women a place to emote and to talk. And it started to dawn on me Uh that, hmm, men are tending towards action as a means to heal. And women are tending towards interaction as a means to heal. Of course, the research of Shelley Taylor in 2001, I think it was, pretty much proved that. You know, Taylor from UCLA did some research, some fantastic research, where she realized that almost all of the stress research had been done on men, that they hadn't really used women as subjects. And so everything you've heard about fight and flight is true for men, but Taylor said, maybe not for women. So Taylor only studied women. And what do you think she found? 
I'm thinking she's the tend and befriend person. That's the one. Hey! She, she, she found out that women don't fight or flight. Women tend and befriend, which basically says women, when stressed, will be more likely to move towards interaction, whereas men, when stressed, will be more likely to move towards action. And as you know from your professional experience, and uh, so many of us stumble up against all the time in our personal lives, that can create problems and conflict and misunderstanding when (laughs) you have a mother and a son or a husband and a wife, because so often we misread each other. And uh, instead of connecting, we actually create more issues. Yeah, you know, it's human nature to expect others to be like us. Yeah. And uh, both men and women fall into this trap, and moms, of course, fall into it because they've never really been taught how boys do process emotions. You know, no one, and they grew up girls. They don't know exactly how boys are going to do things. So moms oftentimes are left not knowing and they're scratching their heads thinking, what is going on with this guy? <laughs> and that's that the inspiration for this podcast. <laughs> well, there you go. And a lot of moms are, are just completely flummoxed by the whole thing because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, why isn't he talking about it? I, his father died, and, and now he's not talking about his father? What's wrong with him? Oh, my gosh, he needs therapy. I cannot tell you the number of women who come to me and say, I want my 13-year-old to come and see you. I'll say, okay, why? And they'll say, because his father died and he's not talking about it. I said, well, the first thing that needs to happen is you and I need to sit down and talk. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. we usually talk for a while and I explain to them that he's probably not going to do it like she does it, that he's going to be a little bit different. And I kind of help them understand how to go about things. And you know, it doesn't take long, a couple of weeks, and they're really understanding the boys and the way they do things. And they're so relieved, you know, because they really think there's something wrong with him. It feels like so much of what I do, what Janet does, and what you do is really helping people understand that what your boy is doing is normal. Yes, exactly. It's, it's normal. And I know as a parent of boys, that is so reassuring. And it all comes from a place of love. We all want what's best for our boys, individually and culturally and socially. We just often don't know how to do it, how to get there. Exactly. When I was preparing for this podcast, I was looking up just some information about boys and grieving. I have to say, I was a little surprised that if you did a quick Google search, there's not even agreement or disagreement on, do boys grieve differently than girls? Yeah. I found some websites that said yes, and I found some that said no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, Tom, do boys grieve differently than girls? Are males taller than females? Generally speaking, yes. Uh And that's kind of a clue for us. You know, the same thing is true for grief, because you're going to find some girls who are going to grieve more like the boys. You're going to find some boys who are going to grieve more like the girls, but the majority of each sex are probably going to follow along the lines we'll talk about right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's so important that we realize this is not a cookie cutter kind of thing. Right. You can't say boys do it this way and girls do it that way. It ain't like that. As parents, we need to have the tools to be able to see the uniqueness of our child, you know, mm-hmm. whether a boy or a girl. And what I like to do is give parents those tools. Give them the tools to be able to evaluate, okay, how does he do this? Where does he do this? And 
is he like this, 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 or this? And then once you can evaluate your child and know how they probably are going to grieve, it's so much easier than to deal with it and accept them the way they are. Rather know? than trying to change the child to fit yeah. the mold, sure. To fit your mold, you know, sure. so break some molds. But the first thing is to know that there is really no mold here. I mean, everybody is really different. Yeah. There are some general trends that we can see, like the action versus interaction we've already talked about. I mean, that's one major trend that you can see with boys and girls. Elaborate on that one a little bit. Tell me more about how boys tend to use action to deal with and process grief. When I was at St. Francis, that place I told you about before, my son was young. He was like four or five, six years old. He used to come to me. I'm 6'2", right? And he's like five years old. He's this tall. <laughs> He'd come to me and say, I want to wrestle, right? And I'd say, okay, okay, okay. And so we'd get down on the floor and we'd wrestle, you know, back and forth and back and forth. And we'd have a great time of it. And he'd do this pretty often, you know. Well, after my father died, we're wrestling away, and he's got me down. And then I've got him down and he's got me down. And he pops his head up and he says, Jimmy got in a fight today. I said, oh, was it bad? Yeah, he had blood coming out of his nose. And then, boom, he's back back on top of me, right? Yeah. Then a minute later, we're still wrestling away. He's on top of me, and he puts his little head up, and he says, I miss Granddaddy. And I said, oh, Luke, I miss him too. And then, he's he's back after wrestling, you know? Mm -hmm. That tipped me off. He was using that action as a safe place. And when he wrestled with me, he felt safe to tell his story. And those two things are the two elements of grief. We all try and find safety in order to grieve. Mm -hmm. And everybody finds safety in a different place. But once we find that safety, then we tell the story of our grief within that safe place. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And And it's, I'm having all of these thoughts right now as I'm trying to, to think through this. For Luke, the safe place was the wrestling. Mm-hmm. Tell his story within that safety of the wrestling. Now, no parent would ever just automatically think, oh, wrestling is a safe place. <laughs> you know? Or I need to go tackle my child to help him deal with his grandfather's death. Exactly. It's just not intuitive. We're not thinking along those lines mm-hmm. because we've grown up to think of, of two things that grief is, crying and talking about it. Yes. Which are two great ways to heal because what happens, you know, when people find safety, they'll tell their story verbally. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's so talking is a valid form of healing. It's just not the only form. You know, and it's interesting when you say talking too, that one simple word talking can mean very different things to males and females. So your son said, I miss granddad. And you said, I do too. And a lot of women are like, well, that's just the start. That's not talking about it. But that that may very well have been enough in that moment. That was enough in that moment. That was him basically emoting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The emotions were there. Mm-hmm. I miss granddaddy. It's like, boom, the emotion was there. I miss him too, Luke. The emotion for me was there also. And you validated his and we didn't have a lot of tears. Mm-hmm. The other thing that drives moms nuts is their boys don't cry as much. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is the tear ducts on males are bigger. And so they tend to hold tears 
more readily than the female's tear ducts, which are tiny. And so the tears stream down the female's face. But you'll see when, when men are sad, you'll see their eyes glisten, right? Yeah. See, tears my dad stream. do that. Yes, but you'll see the eyes glisten. This is probably related to his tear ducts being big enough to hold them. And the other thing we know, Jenny, is that when boys hit 13 and their testosterone comes in, there's an inverse relationship between testosterone and our tears. So as testosterone goes up, tears go down. Boys 13 and up cannot access their tears in the same way they could when they were five or six or seven. And it doesn't mean they're not sad. Exactly. This this completely blows women's minds. They're thinking, wait a minute, he can be sad but not have tears. Yeah. And women then start feeling empathetic towards the boys. How awful it is to feel that sadness but not have the release of the tears. So do and you that's think, the plight of boys. Do you think that's part of where this action comes in then? You know, if, if you feel the sadness and you don't have yes. the physical release of tears, activity is another way to release emotion. I've, that's a very good point. And there's a number of reasons why action is important. One of which is that boys and men live in a hierarchy, you know, where we're always striving for status. We're striving to be the top of the list. You know, we're striving to be number one. Parents know this. They've seen their boys play video games. Oh, it drives me crazy in my house. I mean, I, I have four boys, three are still at home, and they're constantly jockeying for position. And they will not stop until they get to level 17. Yep. That's yep. testosterone, and that's the hierarchy. And males live in this hierarchy. And the, the research is getting more and more clear on this now. You know, there's a whole thing uh, where they've been studying about 10 or 15 years, a thing called precarious manhood. It basically shows that boys and men have this thing called precarious manhood. You know, when women, when young women go through puberty and they become female, mature female bodies, they are literally considered women. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're a woman now. But when boys go through puberty, they're not considered men. Not until they prove it. And, and you're th- constantly having to prove it. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. And guess what? What gives you a higher rating so that you can prove it? When you succeed, when you're independent, when you're doing things that are successful, when you're making money, mm-hmm. when you're making whatever kinds of, of success mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's high on the hierarchy, emotions, if you emote, that's a dependent person. And dependent is low on the hierarchy. You go down like a rock. This is yet one more. And there's five reasons that I talk about that, that men and boys are less likely to show their emotions mm-hmm. and their, their grief will be less visible. You can't see it. You know, I think it's so important to talk about that social construct as well, because when we are helping our boys deal with grief and disappointment, and it can be anything from, you know, not making a team or an activity that he wanted to do all the way up to the loss of a parent. Yes. You know, our boys are dealing with this within the context of a culture that has what you're saying, you know, precarious manhood, and they're facing a lot of pressure to not show too much emotion. And so we, as parents, as educators, have to find ways to help them that make sense for them. You know, if a boy is trying to hold on to his position in his group of friends, we have to respect that and not say, well, what you need to do is cry. Precisely. Precisely. You have to honor that he is in a battle 
of status. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and as a parent, we can give him a safe place, but he may not be emoting in the same way that our daughters will emote because of this whole status thing. So how do we give them a safe place? You know, your story where you were wrestling with your son, for one, you had that pre-established activity. Yes. And yes. for two, let's face it, dads are more likely to wrestle with their sons than yes, moms. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is, deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, Increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit. With free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time, your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash ONBOYS. Winona, menopause care made easy. Well, the first thing is just to realize that activity is a likely place for them to grieve. Okay. And think about what your son likes to do. What does he like to do? Does he like to go in his room and shut the door? That may be his way to grieve. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there's, for men, it's usually action or inaction. You know, so that pulling back and being quiet and the adolescents do what I call grinding on it. They'll go to their room and they just get in the bed and they lay there and they just grind on it. They have the thoughts over and over and over again. And you see, that's telling the story. Ah. That's telling the story in his own biocomputer. You know, ah. it's not as helpful as talking about it because when we tell the story in our own brains, we don't get the benefit of other people who come up and say, Oh, you shouldn't have to worry about that, you know, and we don't get their blessing 
and so we tend to get stuck in shame sometimes, you know, because when we don't have feedback from others, the shame can go up, the guilt can go up and it's harder. A lot of times boys can use this inactive mode very, very powerfully, you know, and they don't need much talking. They don't need much even action. You know, think about the religious people. I mean, Christ would go into the, uh, desert for 40 days and 40 nights, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't remember Mary following him in saying he needed to join a support group. She probably packed him a sandwich first. <laughs> <Make me> a- <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, yes. You know, you said, you said, think about what they like. And in that instant, I realized that, you know, for my 12 year old, when he's going to a tough time, what I really need to do is visit him out in the garage. He yes. loves puttering out in the garage. And there you go. Go putter with him. Yeah. Because safe places for boys are shoulder to shoulder, yep. not face to face. You know, so you want to do things with him in parallel. Mm-hmm. Whether it's shooting baskets outside or taking a walk or riding bikes or whatever he likes to do, mm-hmm. do that with him side by side. Mm-hmm. that gives him a safe place. Then he can use it or not use it. You know, and that's all- so important that you respect his, yes. whether he engages or doesn't on that particular day. Yes. And love you, him for who he is. You shared with me a story a few years ago that has stuck with me ever since. And it was about a teenage boy, I believe, whose father had passed away. And yeah. his mom came to you very concerned that he he wasn't dealing with this, right? Yeah, yeah, the basketball story. Can you share that one? I'd be happy to. You know, the, that was a, a, an important story for me. You know, the little little guy had his father die, and the mom was all upset because uh, he hadn't talked about his father. He hadn't cried about his father. He hadn't done anything. And so she came in, and like I usually do with mothers, I'll say, well, you know, tell me what your son likes to do. And she said, well, he loves to play basketball. In fact, all he's been doing is playing basketball. That's all he does. And I got to get him to come in and talk, you know? I said, no, 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 no. This week, you go play ball with him and see what happens. And so she went out and she played ball with him. And it was magic. You know, she went out there and uh, shoulder to shoulder, they're shooting baskets. The first thing he did was, mom, you suck. Uh, which is not surprising. You, you don't have to be good at what he's you doing. Can't, and exactly. You can't play like dad could. Oh. You know? And as soon as he said that, the tears started coming down his face. You know? and he's, then he was able to start talking about what happened. And he told her stories about his father had always wanted him to make this one shot, this shot the father called a three-pointer. It was from farther away than he could do. And he always tried and tried and tried, but he couldn't make it. After his father died, he tried over and over and over again to make that shot. And he finally made that shot. And he told his mom, when I made the shot, I said, dad, I did it. And then he just crumbled in tears, you know? So you see how the action of taking that shot and making it was his safe place that then gave him the opportunity then to tell that story. Mm-hmm. See how it works? Mm-hmm. So these things come up in the daggondest places. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be someplace you don't expect. You yes. never know. Yes. And grief in general can be so cyclical. You know, it, it pops up when you don't expect it. Sometimes time has gone yeah. on and you think the person is okay or back to normal and yes. it comes up again. Yeah, grief comes in waves. Yes. It's like waves. It's like, you know, you're at the beach sometimes, and you're looking back at the shore and you're going, oh, there, wham. 
and you're, you get whacked. hit by a wave and you're under there. And for that moment, you can't, you don't know where you are. You're in chaos. Mm-hmm. That's what grief is. I mean, grief is literally chaos in its acute forms. And we all struggle to find ways to stabilize ourselves within that chaos. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a really good definition of, of grief. I've not heard it put that way. Yeah. It's chaos. All right. It's like being thrown in the rapids. You know, when we're just looking at the rapids, they're beautiful. Oh, isn't that beautiful? You get thrown in, <laughs> you're trying to keep your head above water. Right. right. Same thing with grief. I mean, we're trying to keep our head above water because it just it's chaos. It's a mess. And children, our young boys and girls are the same. I mean, they're in that chaos too. They're struggling to maintain themselves, even though it may not look like that to us as parents. Culturally, I think that um, modern America, modern world in a lot of places, we're not so good at dealing with grief. We tend to be uncomfortable with pain. We want to shut it down. What are some unhelpful things that (laughs) well-meaning adults do, and what should we be doing differently? Oh, geez. Well-meaning things. You know, big boys don't cry is one of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and that's just, you don't hear that as much anymore, but it's an important thing about big boys don't cry. You know, it's not only the message is not only to the boys saying to them, don't cry. The message of big boys don't cry also says that I, as your parent, am not going to be there for you when you need me. Ooh. You know, mm-hmm. Big boys don't cry means I'm not going to help you. Mm-hmm. You're on your own, pal. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Those kind of things, let's do without them. You know, let your son know that you're there for him. Mm-hmm. Even if he doesn't want to talk about it, tell him, you know, I know this is a tough thing. In fact, see, that's good for guys. Because they're in this hierarchy, they will feel more safe if they think you think they're going through something tough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If they think you think they're going through something easy, they're probably not going to open up. But if you say to them, you know, Johnny this must be tough for you, you know? In fact, you can ask them, what's the toughest thing about this for you? That's a good question for boys Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it's hierarchical. What's the toughest? E-S-T. You know, he's already got it in his mind probably what the toughest thing is. Sure. And if he says, I don't want to talk about it, say, okay, that's cool. You know, if you do want to talk about it, come and get me because anytime I'll be available, we can talk, you know? You know, so often I have made comments like that to to my guys. You know, you say something and they seem like they're not listening and you say, okay, if you ever want to talk about it. And a key skill I've had to learn as a parent is just, it is still important to say it, even in that moment, if it seems like they're not listening, because it's registering. It's registering and it's there. And so you have to say it and you may have to say it again. And it might be a long time before they take you up on it, but you got to put it out there. And it gives them a message. It says to them that you care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times boys get the wrong message because the parents are so frustrated that they're not grieving like they're supposed to that the parents get upset and angry. Yeah. And this pushes them farther away, you know? Yeah. Uh, the things we can do in our culture is A, to realize that there is such a thing as sadness. And it's okay. It's not going to hurt us. But we also have to recognize that boys dealing with sadness is going to be different because of the hierarchy. Okay. It's not going to be the same. You know, our girls will just fall into our arms. Oh, you know, I've got this and that and the other. The boys are probably not going to be like that. What we know now, too, Jenny, is that they're not like that for very good physical reasons. You know, the boys 
got a testosterone flood when they were three months in utero. Mm -hmm. And the girls did not. It's about, I think this 85% of boys get this flood and 15% don't. And a good percentage of girls actually do get excessive testosterone in utero. So and we call those girls tomboys because of this in utero testosterone, which changes our brains. It changes the boy's brain into what the researchers are calling a, a systems-oriented brain, where he's going to be more interested in systems kinds of things. And it changes the girl's brain into what they call the empathic brain, or the empathy brain, where she's more interested in relationship. Now, doesn't mean girls can't be systems-oriented and guys can't be empathic. It just means that the systems are built with a little bit of leaning in that direction. Mm-hmm. How many times have you seen boys sit hours and hours with Legos? That's a system. They're putting a system together. How many hours and hours has my Sam spent in the garage taking apart lawnmowers? Yes, there you go. Yeah. It's the whole systems thing is the built into the male brain. And how hard do I have to try to look interested when I'm hearing those stories again and again? (laughs) Because my brain doesn't work that way. It is not intuitively inherently fascinating to me in the same way it is to him. That's so yes. obvious. Yes. You know, another example of, of this is when my father died, uh, we built the box for his uh, ashes to be put in. And it was my brother and myself and four or five of my father's friends would gather in my father's workshop and we'd build this box together, right? And you can imagine as we're building this box, we're cranking on each other. Oh, come on. You can sand that better than this or how about this? Or this this would work better than that. That's what guys do, right? Guys do. But as we did that, we told stories about my dad. I'm sure you did. And we told my brother and I told him stories about long ago, and the men there would tell us stories about what had just happened recently. And and there were plenty of tears on that floor along with the sawdust. But it was that being together shoulder to shoulder, mm-hmm. doing a project that helped us connect in with that loss and to tell our story. And what a beautiful way to work together and honor your father. Yes, and that's exactly right. Honoring is the key word there because male's grief almost always has to do with honoring Hmm. one way or another. And that's probably, we probably won't be able to go into that, but that gives people a clue about looking at boys' grief too because they will honor. You look at all these sports teams. What do they do when a teammate dies? Hmm. They put on a black armband with the person's number and they dedicate their season to that person. This Brett Favre's great game after his father oh, passed. Oh my goodness, yes. And the University of Maryland this year, they had a guy die in practice over the summer. Ugh. They dedicated their entire season to that, that young man. And this is the masculine path. Mm-hmm. Action, connecting with honoring. I can tell you story after story about men who've done beautiful things, things they've done, they've built in honor of a person who died or a, a, a golf tournament they've, they've created yeah. in honor of, a, a trust fund in honor of, all of these things. And see, they're telling their story by doing this action. Yes. We've yeah. talked a lot about what's normal for boys in terms of grief. <laughs> what are some maybe red flag signs that this boy is really struggling, maybe does need professional attention. When should parents and educators really be concerned and start reaching out for resources? Well, you want to look at how his behavior is differing from his usual. Okay. 
I'll take a baseline. So if he's usually quiet and reserved and he's now quiet and reserved, well, so be it. Mm-hmm. He's usually gregarious and runs around with his friends and does this and that. And he's spending, you know, 18 hours a day in his bedroom. I mean, that's when you got to think about things. That's when okay. you go and say, is this really bugging you? Mm-hmm. How can I be of service to you? And then he'll say, nothing, get out of here, right? Most likely. And then you say, you know, when you're ready, let me know because I want the best for you. And I know that me talking to you is probably not the best way, but if you think of ways that I can help you, let me know what the best way is. You know, so you're kind of telling him, you don't know the best way to help. And you're asking him for feedback on how you could do something that might be of help to him. And you did not go in his room trying to solve the problem for him. You asked, what can I do for you? Exactly. Okay. This is a lot of tough stuff, partly because so many of us as adults, you know, we still feel like we're muddling our way through all of this. But you shared some really useful tips. And I know that this is the kind of thing, the stories you tell stick in my mind for a long time. And they have influenced my parenting for the better. Right now, I'm really happy that none of the kids are in the room and can disagree with that. <laughs> we can just say that out loud. My big takeaway from this is that as parents, educators, we need to give our boys space, respect the ways that they grieve, offer to be there for them. Yes. Yes. What else? Good summation. I, no, I think that's great. Just like that. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. You have done so much great work for boys and men and their families. Uh, We will include links to your website in our show notes. And I want you to just tell our listeners briefly about the book that you wrote for moms. Yeah, it's called Helping Mothers Be Closer to Their Sons, the Understanding the Unique World of Boys. It's pretty much what we've talked about today, plus about a lot more, because there's plenty of things we haven't gone over. But it, it kind of goes... Point by point, helping moms understand their sons and how they're different. And it talks about all the testosterone stuff. It talks about the hierarchy. It talks about how to get close to them. It talks about how to teach them about emotions. It talks about how to discipline them, maybe in a different way. Mm-hmm. It goes into all kinds of different things that you're going to be able to do more easily when you really know what his nature is like. And the best part about it being in book form is that you can keep it. You can refer to it constantly. You can highlight flip through. Oh, yeah. The moms tell me that what they've found is really helpful is to take the book and read it with their son out loud and get ah. him to give feedback about the book. What did you think of this section? Let me read you this section. Just tell me what you think. And then read them a paragraph and get them to say, yeah, that's right. Or no, that sucks. You know, but it gets a conversation going. Either way, you're getting more information about your son. Exactly. Through the book. And you use the book as a means to connect with him. It's great if he says, no, that sucks. That's not right. You can say, well, what is right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to pull this one back out and just lay it on the table for supper tonight, I think. There you go. What comes just up? Open it and uh, read a paragraph and see what they say. Tom, thank you so much. You are a source of information and compassion, and I so appreciate the work that you do for boys and their families. Jenny, I feel the exact same way about you. You've done so much over the years, and you're a a light amidst a void of darkness. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, and we are here to support you 
in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big. 